This week, choice is an illusion created between those with power and those with the Matrix Reloaded. This is Body Counts and Beer. Hello and welcome to another edition of Body Counts and Beer. I'm Mark Rosenthal. I'm Patrick Bromley. I'm still Jonathan Rooney-Taylor. Or am I? Uh, what's a cool hacker name I can have? I should have thought this through. Narration vocal. That's going to be my cool hacker voice. Narration oh, nice. vocal? Yep. I love narration vocal. You guys are going to have to uh, refer to me as such as soon as I oh, take okay. this fistful of red pills that I've been assured will make me <laughs> see through all the lies. Yeah. Uh, weirdly enough, they all seem to be links to conservative news outlets. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, I'm sure I'm going to become a better person because of it. John, are you eating pills that link you directly to Breitbart? <laughs> you don't? How do you get are to you Breitbart? Eating, are you eating like weird like Steve Bannon scab pills? What's going on here? Now, eating, I think, implies chewing, and I need to say for the record, I am chasing them with a vodka. Ooh. Ah, fair, fair. Uh, so this week, we are discussing uh, 2003's uh, The Matrix Reloaded. That's right, we are back on this Matrix train. We covered the first one a while ago. Now we're covering the middle chapter, the often maligned middle chapter. Uh, I think the third uh, one is more maligned. Oh, well, I was going to say the always maligned third chapter <laughs> when we got there. I mean, Correct. it's pretty there much a downhill least... slope after number one. Yeah, I'm sure there are some defenders for The Matrix Reloaded. So here's the <laughs> thing. Uh, as further proof that I didn't know what the hell I was doing in high school, this was my favorite Matrix movie. What is wrong with you? Oh my yeah. god, were you the loser that thought the architect scene was cool? Uh, I still think the architect scene is cool. Oh, you're still the loser. Hell yeah. I just think it happens in totally the wrong part of the movie, but we'll get there. That is absolutely true. It's a cool scene uh, that should not be the climax. Yeah, it's yeah. a cool scene that should have been like in the like the beginning of the movie or something. Correct. Uh, so, anyways, the Matrix Reloaded begins like all movies do with creepy, weird hacker text. Yeah, crawling Hell down yeah. the screen, so green, uh, so hackery. <laughs> yes, uh, and it, it it leads eventually to a bunch of like. Goonie security guards clocking out for the night. So this is where I think the movie hits its first not as good as the first movie. Where in the first movie it's very cool because we've got Trinity and she's on the run and she's got a bunch of beat cops after her, but it's clear that they're no match. In this one, she's like, what if I threw a motorcycle at a bunch of fucking mall cops? <laughs> the... <laughs> The Matrix Reloaded, I think the best the best example, or best way I can describe it is, it is if somebody saw the first Matrix and was like, that movie was pretty cool, but what if it was ten times cooler, and then made that version of the movie? Well, I mean, that does explain all the pleather. Yeah, uh, well, that's another thing I want to get to, uh, and we can just do that now, I guess. Is, does anyone else find it weird that every single person that is salvaged from the real world and pulled out of the Matrix, when they go back in the Matrix and they present themselves as how they want to be seen, they all want to be seen as, like, weird goth kids? Like, yeah. is that 
Is that weird? <laughs> uh, <laughs> buddy, this is early 2000s. Club scene was in, my friend. We were yeah. all I know, into, but like, like, hard house and Eurotech. You but there's not, want... like, one... There's not one person who's just like, I want to wear shorts. It's hot outside. <laughs> I'm just surprised you don't get anybody who wants to wear shades that actually cover all of their vision. Yeah! Only the yeah, narrowest shades. Everyone's yeah. wearing tiny John Lennon sunglasses. <laughs> um, okay, so the, uh, these goons have a motorcycle thrown at them. It explodes. Trinity does uh, some wire foo. She hits a couple guys with her helmet. It's all right. It's not bad. And then we uh, get more green text and flash forward to her leaping out of this window and probably the, I will say this, this is probably the coolest shot in the movie, because there's this nice long shot that follows this agent dive headfirst out this window after her firing guns, and the camera goes over the ledge and follows him down for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's I a pretty it, rad shot. It's cool, but like a lot of scenes and shots in this movie, it goes on for so long. Not only there's, that, but we're going to get to watch it all twice. <laughs> in yeah. its entirety. <laughs> right. There's a lot of unnecessary slow motion in this movie it's not even the slow motion it's the actual length of time it takes for them to jump out the window shoot at each other and trinity to get hit by a bullet it's like a solid 45 seconds to a minute of just (laughs) yeah yeah trinity is firing two uzis just over and 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 then she gets shot in the heart. Shot through the heart because she's too late. She gives love a bad name. Correct. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and as if, I feel like uh, that goof didn't land as hard as it should have. <laughs> uh, no, it totally landed. I'm sorry. I'm just taking some bad medicine right now. So oh, no. I'm not, no, I can't not laugh at those jokes because to I'm totally on Richie Sambora's side of the Inter-Bon Jovi feud. Oh, shit. I think Richie does have his life together. I think See, Bon Jovi's just a prick. <laughs> I'm trying to hold on to that take, but it's so slippery when it's wet. <laughs> Uh, I gotta get out of here, guys. I gotta run away. Uh, that's good, because you're <laughs> wanted, dead or alive. I don't <laughs> know what you did. Uh, well, I went out with a blaze of glory, is what I did. There you go. Take cool, that, like Aldi. That, like that damn Yankees video? Where they shoot up a house for no reason? Yeah, but also like that Bon Jovi song, Blaze of Glory. <laughs> Fair enough. I was trying to widen the purview of these solid riffs. Sure, but I I didn't want to go into that damn Yankees video because there's an old Patton Oswalt bit about it, and I definitely would have just slid into it by a mistake and stolen (laughs) that shit. Damn you. We are all living in the shadow of Patton Oswalt. Absolutely. Uh, Hey, Patton, be on this podcast. Yes. We'll talk about fucking mall cop or something. Uh, I'm from so, Virginia. I also didn't think that highly of it. We could be friends. <laughs> Patrick, how far away from Sterling, Virginia did you grow up? Uh, probably like an hour and a half or so drive. Oh, okay. He's like that. He was more in the northern part, and I'm on the northeastern part. So not as gotcha. far away as you could be, but pretty different parts of the state. Understood. Yeah. 
Um, so after Trinity gets shot in the heart, she smashes into a car and then we cut to, oh no, Neo waking up. It was all a dream. Was it? Nope. We'll see it all again in an hour and a half. It is both a call ahead to a thing the audience has no context for, a jump cut in time in that call ahead, and then eventually it becomes a flashback. Yeah. Yeah. It is, in fact, real stupid. (laughs) I think the whole structure of this movie is just... It's it's ambitious, for sure, but it's also... Boy, you did not take good lessons about what folks liked about the first Matrix movie. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's the other thing that really gets me, is they... They they walked away with the lesson of uh, of the Matrix being this huge success, and they're like, you know what people really loved about the first Matrix when we stopped the movie to a dead halt to talk about pseudo philosophical bullshit. But here's yeah. the thing, dude. In high school, I was all like, shit, yeah, this movie's so smart. Not like those <laughs> other dumb, stupid, idiot movies for dumb, uh... idiot babies. See, I may I have also because... had sympathies towards that certain asshole opinion. I've heard See... of Karl Popper. I know sort of what this character is referencing. See, because I grew up on a on a steady diet of double the Van Dam equals double the Van Damage. <laughs> mm. um, when, when action movies tried to get too smart, it really turned me off because I just wanted more splits and kicks. No, sure. and you're not wrong. You're not wrong about that opinion. <laughs> Indeed. Um. So now that Neo is awake, he's uh on the Nebuchadnezzar. We are picking up uh sometime after the events of the first Matrix. Neo is now officially the one. He can manipulate things in the Matrix and do whatever he wants. Uh, we are back on the Sh- Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, we got a new pilot because the other one got shotted up in the first Matrix movie. And shit, it's Michael from Lost. What's up, Michael uh, from Lost? He'll be sorry, called Link gonna... in this film. Yeah, he uh, will Link always is be... the boy. Zelda's the girl. <laughs> <laughs> Insights uh, that he will be called Link in this film. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I've been recently... Um, up until recently, been playing Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link. Why? Because uh, it's a fun game! Uh, Zelda 2 is awesome. It's all the side-scrolling yeah. fun you could possibly have. I, yeah, too, man. also like not being able to beat my video games. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, to be fair, after I gave up on Adventures of Link, I moved right to the Metal Gear collection. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> this guy likes Sisyphean tasks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, the the first one I put in, I got the, the first disc. The first disc, it puts them in uh, chronological order in which the events take place in the games. So the first uh, game is Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, um, <laughs> that which is, is the one that takes... Sure, playing it story chronological is a terrible way to play those games. <laughs> yeah, so it's it takes place in Vietnam and your big boss who uh, becomes... No, it takes place in the thick rainforest of Russia... Yeah, Wait, you're right. But big boss man Vietnam times. Yeah, it's during the sixties. It, it's Cold War. Yeah. And so you play you play old like like young naked snake. You play one of the snakes who eventually becomes big boss and then he gets cloned to become a but anyways, I started playing this game and I was like, I'm gonna play him the way the game tells me to play him and uh it said, Have you ever played a Metal Gear game before? And I said, Yes. 
and it said, what's your difficulty? And I said, normal. And then the game said, you're dead. You've already lost. Correct. Yeah. Take that. Yeah, there is absolutely no shame playing those games on easy mode, especially because uh, you need to have six fingers on each hand to actually control the game the way it's intended to be. Yeah, the controls uh, for the games are absolutely unintuitive garbage. <laughs> Everything is hold all of the shoulder buttons except release one of them and then press a face button, but not too fast, and then hold that shoulder <laughs> button again. And, and like in Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, you can't control the camera? Correct. Ugh. Which is you couldn't the control most the, infuriating thing? You couldn't control the camera in the original release of Metal Gear Solid 3. It wasn't until they re-released it uh, for the Metal Gear Solid 3 subsistence release that yes. they had the player-controllable camera. The number of times you will accidentally lay down in those games is astounding. Oh my God. Because I, in real life, almost never accidentally <laughs> lie prone on my belly. <laughs> When uh, I mean no, I, to like I, pick up a piece of ration or something in the in in Snake Eater, the only way you can kill snakes is if you take your time to lay down on the ground, get a knife, stab at the snake, then wait for the snake to dissolve, turn into a ration, and then you can pick it up, and then you have to stand up. There's it's the whole game is just having to lay down to do things. Correct. I like that the snake helpfully dissolves into a ration, though. That's useful. yeah. When you stab it, when you stab it, it turns into dust like Thanos snapped it away <laughs> and leaves well, behind a little can of spam. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so a couple of pro tips. This is now a Metal Gear Solid Three podcast. I'm yeah, well, not sorry. Better. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for that non-lethal playthrough of the game that the game definitely encourages here's a couple tips if you tranquilize a poisonous snake you can then throw that snake at an enemy and it will kill it but your hands are clean (laughs) well that's because the snake committed the actual sin there correct uh i merely gave opportunity for the snake to meet the neck of this innocent soldier and what (laughs) happens after that is that's not my business that's nature at work man you can't account for that You can also, when you tranquilize an enemy, you have like a time limit before they wake up again. If in that time limit, you shoot both of their knees, they can't get up, but they're (laughs) technically still alive. (laughs) All right, these are all good to know. Yeah. If only the act of aiming in that game wasn't the most difficult thing in the world. Correct. Uh, okay, so uh, Neo wakes up. They're back on the Nebuchadnezzar. The whole familiar crew was there. For some uh, reason, uh, all of the like rebel captains are going to a meeting inside the Matrix, which is yes, just yes. like, hey, guys, we should have our anarchist meeting inside the wiretap center of the CIA. I think this <laughs> would go really well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you would think they would do it. You know, they're all so, uh, uh, so very, very online, as the kids say these days, right? They also you would think- all live in the same city in real life. They're all probably neighbors to each other. Yeah, but they this, could is before out. this is before they've all been ordered to come home, or it's as they're being ordered to all go there. So theoretically, they're all spread out everywhere. Plus, in real life, they, they don't get to wear their awesome pleather jackets. 
but they don't have like video conferencing or anything. They can't do any of this over the phone or a no. walkie-talkie. Zoom licenses are very expensive. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so yeah, the, all the captains uh, and their crews of the various ships in in service of Zion, the last human city, are having a big old meetup uh, so they can discuss the orders that Zion has called all the ships home because the Osiris. Uh, another ship has been destroyed, but the last message they sent out was that hundreds of thousands of squiddies or sentinels are heading towards Zion and are going to attack. This will be the last stand of Zion. We and have, everyone is like, it's an emergency. We have to hurry. We've got eight months before this attack. Yeah. Well, I just love that. Like someone's like the Osiris said these robots are coming. And then everyone else is like, shut up. No, they didn't. Yeah. You idiot. Robots. Well, apparently there's like a long and storied history of the robots coming and failing to do anything. Yes. Yeah, there's an idea that they're protected because they technically live like beneath the crust of the earth. But like, I don't know, dude. I don't know. If I that- don't know. Yeah, right. that doesn't make any sense, John, because as the core taught me, in the center of the earth is millions of tons of spinning hot liquid metal and if it stops moving the earth will die you can't build a city in there because that means you have to get rid of the core itself so honestly your science here just does not work uh so i'm gonna check you on that real quick because my scientific knowledge of the inside of the earth came from neil adams's batman odyssey where the (laughs) earth is actually hollow and full of dinosaurs uh, is that I'm the just one glad he... that both of you guys got your geology degrees at theater school. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, my theater school let me write an essay in math class. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, my high school had a physics for theater class. <laughs> where every every class was... Uh, they were physics lessons, uh, but you would apply them to things in the theater. So you, when you were talking about like light refraction and, and mirrors and lasers, you'd talk about like the theater lights and stuff like that. And it all culminated at the end of the year with us getting to go to Great America for Physics Day. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, See, I, my high school also sent a bunch of like fucking – you had to be like an honor student taking a physics class and you could go to Hershey Park was our – Closest theme park. (laughs) And, like, I was always so jealous that they got to spend the day uh, goofing on roller coasters and such. So, I went to Physics Day. It's the only time I've ever been to, like, a real, like, theme park. Great Six Flags, Great America here in Gurney in Illinois. So, we go to this thing. You have to have a physics buddy with you. So, my buddy Daniel and I are paired up. Uh, The first thing I do when we get into the park at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning is I eat a foot-long chili dog. Nice. The second thing we do is we get on the ride Shockwave. Ooh, I'm guessing is... the third thing we do is go to the bathroom. Uh, the th- yeah, the third thing we did was uh, hold our hands to our mouths so the chili dog did not come out. Because <laughs> uh, a large portion of Shockwave is loops. Whoa. Uh, it was also the first real roller coaster I'd ever been on. I don't like rides. Um, I like rides crazy... when they tell me a story. Sure, I guess. Put yeah, some fucking I mean, screens in your roller coaster and tell me that I'm like trying to zip away from fucking Star Lord or whatever, dude. I mean, yeah, that would be cool. So this, what happens here is after this is over, we're wandering around the park, and I run into this 
this girl who I knew from another school. You don't know her. Um, but this is absolutely <laughs> true. This girl from another school uh, who uh, I just happened had a crush to live on. in Canada, but we're like always on online dates, man. So it was this girl that I kind of had a crush on. We ran into each other, and she's like, oh, how does it blah, blah, good to see you. Oh, good to see you. And she's like, hey, do you want to be like my physics buddy for the day? And my buddy Daniel's like nudging me in the back, right? As if to be like, huh? Huh? And in my brain, I was just like, no, I already have a physics buddy. Everything's fine. Goodbye. Yeah, I'm like, honor-bound to my current physics buddy. It yeah. would be and this happened, dishonest. This ha- this happens multiple times throughout the day. We ran into her when we went to the IMAX theater to see Jordan to the max. She said, do you want to sit next to me while we watch the movie? I said, no, I got to stay with my physics buddy. Everything's fine. <laughs> we, we ran into her when we went to the old timey, uh, you can go in and karaoke over a song and they give you a cassette tape of it. And she's like, you want to sing a duet? And I was like, no, me and my physics buddy are going to sing pretty fly for a white guy. And then at the end of the day, last ride, we are waiting in line for The Wizard, which is like one of their oldest roller coasters. And she's right in front of us. And she's like, hey, do you want to ride the ride with me? And I was like, nah, I got still my physics, buddy. <laughs> so she gets on the ride. We brought these my tennis Daniel- balls to <laughs> drop on the, on the elevator ride and see them suspended in air. Otherwise, we don't get full credit for the day. How old are you in this case? 17. Holy God. Yeah, too old to be making these mistakes. So my buddy Daniel is now just like openly chastising me in front of the entire crowd of people waiting in line that I've like been blowing it all day. And then like 10 minutes goes by and the roller coaster has not returned. And we look, we take a look down and the roller coaster has stopped like 200 feet from the end. It got like stuck. And this girl is sitting in the very front car with this, like, goony dude. And he's like, oh, you could have gotten stuck in the car. You could have been doing all this and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh, the physics, buddy. Um, and then I, I look down, and the guy she's with is, like, done with this. And he, like, he stands up and takes one step out of the car. And out of nowhere, like, eight security guards come out of, like, bushes with big Maglite flashlights. And they're like, get back in the car! Get back in the car! Get back in the car! And force wow. this dude back in there. And I was like, I don't, I don't think we're getting on this ride. And then we <laughs> left, and I never saw her again. <laughs> so she didn't so much have a crush on you as she was a vengeful spirit that needed to... She had completed one task on this green earth. Correct. But she needed a new project to latch herself to, to bound her to this corporeal existence. <laughs> Absolutely true. <laughs> That's some top quality being oblivious, buddy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very stupid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh I mean Patrick and I have been saying that for years. <laughs> to your oh, face. Sure. <laughs> to your face. Uh, to, so so Morpheus is like, we need to leave a ship here in case the Oracle calls us. And everyone's like, You shut up, Morpheus. And he goes, No, you shut up. And so, they're like, Good point, Morpheus. We'll leave a ship here. Yeah, here's the yeah. thing. Morpheus is supposed to be the like maverick who plays by his own rules, and he may not do it clean, but he'll get it done. Except every tactical decision he makes in this entire movie is either It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. We'll just leave a ship here. What if it gets attacked? We have so few ships. It'll be fine. Yeah, 
everybody's going to be okay. All right, so we need to send Neo into what is clearly a trap. You know, the one person that we have all basically put all of our, like, lives in the hands of. Are you sure we want to send him into this obvious trap? It'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, So the highway seems to have exploded. I don't know if you're aware of this, Morpheus, but we needed that to get home. <laughs> so so eventually they're just like okay Morpheus blah 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 we'll take care of this but then what happens is a door someone comes to the door and it's a very familiar voice and he says I want to speak to Neo and the guy's like never heard of him meanwhile Neo has like a force like spidey sense thing go off and he wanders out and this guy's like give Neo my gift and he gives it to Neo, and it's Agent Smith's ear communicator. And then it turns out that there's not just one Agent Smith who died in the previous movie, but now there's two Agent Smiths. So this Whoa. happens throughout the course of the movie, where they keep reintroducing Agent Smith still being alive and being able to clone himself as if it's a new revelation each time it happens. And every it happens time it like happens, eight times. Every time it happens, the music swells as if it's never happened before, and we should all be in awe of this amazing new yeah. yeah, it's uh, deeply frustrating. Yeah. One thing I will say about this movie, uh, as opposed to the first Matrix movie, is this movie has a lot more like straight up just jokes in it. Like yeah. there's just like moments that are supposed to be like jokes. Like there's a part where someone's like, me, 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 and then uh uh <laughs> fucking Smith, Smith like just turns him into another artery. Smith's yeah. and then goes me too. Yeah. It's so fucking stupid. Yeah. It gets real goofy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so Neo uh, goes outside to try and find Smith, and he's not there. So he Superman flies into the air uh, to go to the Oracle's empty apartment <laughs> and then just go... Where are you? Yeah, you know, the same way that if you're, again, just fresh out of high school and you're, like, visiting your hometown for the first time in a little bit and the first thing you do is... you break into an old woman's apartment. Exactly. (laughs) And you're like, ah, the memories. You gotta check to see if there's any pies on the windowsill. I remember her... When you remember those bent spoons. Giving me cookies, telling me I'm not the one, and then later on saying, oh, no, you are. (laughs) Gotcha! Cool. Uh, so so uh, I, agents like show up to the to the little meeting that they're yes. having, right? And this is where another issue that I have with the movie starts to rear its head, which is the fight scenes, especially in the beginning of this movie, feel really slow and uneventful. Yeah, this yeah, is the so- first fight with Smith we're about to have. No, it's the first fight with just the regular agents where they, like, break in and, like, the one agent throws, like, four punches and then Neo oh, goes, Oh, yeah, huh, yeah. Upgrades. And then he fights them. But one of the things that I, I agree with you, John, one of the things I noticed rewatching this movie uh, was that especially this fight, but in a lot of the fights, the f- every single punch and kick seems like one individual singled out, like, thing. Like, they're all so stiff. Yeah, and 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 it, it's very strange. Well, it's kind of like if you slow down the lightsaber fights in the prequels, you can see that they're 
everybody's aiming for the saber and not the person. Right. But if you're playing it back at high speed, like you don't really notice that. It's just a bunch of like clashy, clashy, cool noises. But in this one, yeah, nobody's throwing a punch at anybody's face. They're throwing a punch at their forearm that's already blocking where their face would be. Well, right. this movie shares a lot of its fight choreography with Star Trek fight choreography, which is there's just a lot of like straight arm, like clothesline <laughs> haymakers that are being thrown back and forth. Yeah. And then uh, anytime anybody any... has to kick, they fly a little bit, have some wires yes. to help. Yeah. There's there's not a there's there I don't recall seeing any like the two hand like hammer punch, but that no. doesn't mean it's not there. Right. True. Very it's heavily true. implied, I think. For my money, as far as the actual hand-to-hand fights go, the only one of these in this movie that's even passable is when he fights the Guardian to the Oracle. And yeah, the rest of them I are have... pretty much garbage. Yeah, I've got that in my notes as, like, uh, for some reason, Neo has to fight a stranger to get to the Oracle. This is the first good fight scene. It also goes on for way too long, and it yeah. is clear that there are no stakes. And every yes. time they go to the wires in that fight, it diminishes that fight. Yeah. True. Yeah, this movie, uh, they cut down on a lot of the bullet time stuff they did in the first movie. Uh, their big innovation for this movie was the weird, like, creepy rubber digital puppets that they made of the actors. Uh, yeah. Each each one of whom suffers from Johnny Bravo syndrome, where their upper bodies are noticeably larger than their lower bodies. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes Neo stretches out a little bit like Gumby. <laughs> yeah. So I think this it, is definitely like pre... No, because I'm trying to think where this is in like the great timeline of special effects, because this is definitely post-Phantom Menace, where they oh, did yeah. mocap for Jar Jar. So they had I mean, mocap it's available. The, I think it's the same year as uh, Two Towers. Yeah. Yeah. So they had... So they had and, and by, which means that they had already filmed and edited all the mocap for Gollum. Yeah. So like... They, but I don't think that they did mocap for the digital monster people. It seems I weird. I think they're just they cartoons. The, yeah, they told the special effects people to just draw in a whole bunch of Keanu Reeves from memory. Right. That's exactly what it is. Because sometimes he looks like the Noid without its ears. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. And I kept waiting for Neo to steal my dominoes. <laughs> uh, he doesn't steal it. He makes it too cold to eat. Uh, right. But that's he does that by stealing. You it. can't do that to pizza. Refrigerated breakfast pizza is great. That's true. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. But you're denying yourself. Your your pizza is already bifurcated into fresh, hot. Oh no, I burned my mouth pizza, which is a wonderful experience unto itself. And then the promise of next day cold pizza yeah. is a yeah. whole different. Okay, pizza that's experience. also true. There is a middle ground of pizza that is unedible. Yeah. Uh, and that is room temperature, room temperature pizza. Room temperature pizza. pizza. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. like the whole thing is room temperature except the sauce is cold. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. That's how it always works. The cheese is both congealed and stringy, so it immediately yeah. you just tear it off on your first bite. Yeah, it's right. no yeah. bad it's stuff. No bad stuff. I do like uh, how So anyways. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead, Pat. I was going to say I do like how pizza is Thanksgiving in every meal. Like it is both the feast itself and the leftovers. True. Whoa. That's some now that's some pseudo philosophical bullshit I can get behind. <laughs> Where's my two and a half hour epic movie about that? <laughs> about the pizza we ate and the pizza will we will eat later. 
yeah, Patrick, put on a leather duster and some sunglasses without the little arms and just eat right. some pizza and pontificate. <laughs> Ooh. So speaking uh, so yeah. of pontification, uh, the, they 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 beat back the agents. They go back to Zion, and they. This is actually a very irritating scene coming up because we are introduced to Kid, who is yes. by far one of the worst characters fiction has ever thrust upon pop culture. We are also going to lean as hard as we can into the Neo equals Jesus stuff. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. I think that that stuff is actually, like, really cool and interesting, and someone should make a movie about it, but they decided (laughs) that they weren't going to. (laughs) Because the idea of Neo has, in the first movie, it's all about the hero's journey to become this all-powerful savior of the remnants of mankind. But in this movie, the, like, two scenes that we have with Neo having any kind of character development, it is... Well, I've achieved that, but the war is still going on, and I literally don't know what I'm supposed to, like, do. And that stuff is really interesting and cool, and would make for a, like, really neat character development, except he's just like, I guess I need to go get told what to do by an old lady, and then get told what to do by an old guy, and then, I don't know, I guess I have force powers. Well, this whole movie is just like, wouldn't it be cool if... No, shut up, car chase. (laughs) Yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if... No, there won't be vampires. Yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if... Shut up, 30-minute sword fight. (laughs) It gets so much worse in the next movie. The next movie has, just real quick detour, uh, the most bone-rattlingly anger-inducing, like, fake-out-of-a-cool-concept in all of science fiction, which is they need to go to the fucking Merovingian, who we'll talk about later in this movie, and they need to get something from him, and he says, Ah, yes, I will get you this thing, but in exchange, you need to bring me the eyes of the Oracle. And, like, that's really cool. How are they going to get out of this, like no-win situation where in order to get what they need for this mission, they need to handicap themselves for the rest of the war by removing the advantage of having the Oracle. Except Trinity just takes out a gun and says, how about you just give us the thing? And he's like, how about I just give you the thing? Uh, so yeah, so Neo dispatches the goons. They all go to Zion. We get this big like opening shot of them uh, coming into the last human city, Zion Underground. There's one really cool thing I love about their entrance, and it's the weird like operator uh, flight control room where it's all in white, and they seem to be uh, they're, using their fucking minority reporting. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was they're minority say. reporting, but it's it looks like it's all like e ink. It looks yeah. like pencil ink. It's really like a cool looking visual. Like it but leaves then, a little trail when they move their fingers to like double yeah, click on the floor. It's really cool. And, and but you then will they be land. on that set for 10 seconds and never again. <laughs> yeah, right? Because then they land and Kid shows up and he's just like, what? Neo, you, can Mr. I suck your dick? And he's just like, no, it's okay. And he's like, please let me spend the whole movie asking to suck your dick. Yeah, it is deeply frustrating. It's not even Anakin from episode one. It's his stupid friend Kidster from episode one. <laughs> like they And they put a lot of plot importance on this awful character in the next movie that is just 
baffling. And and like you know, in the Animatrix, there is one oh, of the we'll shorts. Get to that. About- I had to watch Kids Story. Oh, was that I the got one a lot you to did? say about this oh. little piece of shit. I watched okay, the great. Renaissance or whatever. Good and for I watched, you. And I no, watched cool. It wasn't. I have complaints. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there for the mini so. Alright, so anyways, uh this kid is basically just like Neo's squire. He just like carries his bags and shit. But Neo's like, you don't carry my bags, and he's like, fine. And then Link is like, carry my bags, bitch. And he's yeah. like, Okay, whatever you say, Neo's friend. Uh, And it's one of the running gags in this first bit of the movie that I think fucking works gangbusters is that Trinity and Neo super need to fuck right now. But they keep yes. getting interrupted, and it's every hilarious. Every time Trinity and Neo have even a half of a second of of privacy, they immediately jam their tongues down each other's throats and start, like, groping each other. This is a horny movie. Yeah. Very. Yeah, yeah. Very And honestly, so. it could stand to be hornier. Uh, no, because we're about to get to that weird cave orgy yeah, scene. And no, I think I yeah, but swear, after, I the, after the cave orgy, all the horniness... Go- that's not true. There's a little bit of horniness later. Never mind. Uh, there's it's just quite a bit of horniness you're right, later. You're right. <laughs> no, this movie's perhaps too horny. So we, uh, we I don't do- know, man. I've been watching... <laughs> I've been watching um, uh, Star Trek Discovery, and I was surprised at how horny that was. Like, especially as a Star <laughs> Trek movie, because I was not expected to see full uncensored Klingon titties. Yeah, oh yeah. Sure, sure. Like, I didn't expect to see Klingon nipples. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta get into it, man. just like everyone else. Oh, oh I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised at the existence of Klingon breasts. I've seen enough Star Trek at this point to know that Klingon women have breasts. What I did not expect was that the show was like, you want to see some Klingon titties? Look at them Klingon nips. Yeah, she's fucking this guy. It, it's it's real weird. Yeah. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere, too. Like, I get where... It, if, if you haven't seen Discovery, it's kind of a spoiler. I don't want to go too far into it. But, like, you see this Klingon lady having sex with a guy. Uh, and, yeah, she's just got her boobs out. And the, the camera's just like, yeah, look at them nips. <laughs> They're just straight up Klingon nips. It's real weird. <laughs> yeah, There's also you- a lot of... There's it's post nine eleven Star Trek. It's garbage. No, no, Star Trek Discovery's fucking rad. What are you talking about, man? I tried real hard to get through the first couple episodes of Star Trek Discovery, oh, and so I, the, first... the whole time I was just like, "Yeah, we get it. There are no heroes, and everything is awful all the time." <laughs> cool. So the first two episodes. Good job, optimistic Star Trek beacon uh, so... of our bright future. To be fair, the best Star Trek is DS9, and that's the least optimistic Star Trek. That is, to a large extent, true. Um, But one of the things I like about Discovery, the first two episodes are a little rough because it's like a prequel to the main story. But once they introduce the main story, it gets really good. But one thing I have noticed with the new, uh, the CBS All Access Star Trek shows, uh, Discovery and Picard, which I also watched, is there's lots of fuck words, too, which is also a weird thing to hear in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Like, to have an admiral tell, like, a 90-year-old Picard to shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down was pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) The one Star Trek that, the one plot thread from all of Star Trek that I desperately need to be followed up on is, yo, Alan Ruck ever get a new ship? Because he was piloting that Enterprise, and it did not go well, and he looked like a total doof, and like... 
What happened after that, though? Did he ever get back into Starfleet? He get a new ship? Which one's that? Is that Generations or is that... That's the beginning of Generations where he's just like, it is me, I am Alan Ruck, captain of this amazing vessel, and then one thing goes wrong and he's like, Captain Kirk, save me! Yeah. (laughs) He gets a fancy administrative job back in San Francisco. Sure, yeah. (laughs) The tribunal decides that he did not act in accordance to Starfleet regulations, but they still didn't bring charges against him. Nah, nah. Yeah. He seemed like a nice guy. Even though his actions resulted in the death of the most famous Starfleet member <laughs> in history. Yeah. Hey, Roddy McDowell made that big desert gun. That's true. True fact. He sure did. And, and sorry, it wasn't Roddy McDowell. It was Malcolm McDowell. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to be like, wait, Roddy? <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't Dr. Zayas. That's my fault. Yeah. Uh, so we back don't know to... what Dr. Zayas looks like underneath all that ape makeup, so it, it could very uh, well it, be. He probably yeah, looks like uh, bloody muscle and bones. Sure. Because he's an sure. ape man. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Speaking of ape men, let's get into this rave <laughs> thing that happened. Well, so before we get into the rave thing, though, we need to go to the administrative meeting where they decide to have the rave orgy. <laughs> yes, that's true. We do need to have... The, the committee's got to approve the rave. They have to approve the rave, and they have to have a vote about whether or not Morpheus is going to get to give a speech at this rave. Right. Then cut to Morpheus giving a speech at the rave. With no right. sleeves the- on his shirt. <laughs> well, and there's this whole, like, subplot that the movie kind of kind of cares about in the first 30 minutes and then stops caring about. Well, there's a that- bad admiral. Well, I was going to say, there's there's Morpheus's ex-girlfriend, Captain Niobe, played by Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, she used to date Morpheus, but now she dates, like, the, the guy who runs the defense for Zion. And he it's that dude from all Morpheus. those genre movies and TV shows that are on. I can't remember Yeah, he was his on name. Dollhouse. He's yeah, been he's in a ton like of stuff, yeah. He's yeah. one of those guys. Uh, and he's just like, I don't believe Morpheus, and I don't believe in the one, and we should get more of these big giant walking mechs that for some reason we've allowed to be able to spin their guns like a cool gunslinger. There's no reason it should do that, but it looks cool, I guess. Fucking awesome, though. More giant mechs. It's like in Avatar. It's like in Avatar where that giant mech robot pulls out a giant mech robot pocket knife. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why isn't that just another thing that comes like you don't need to limit yourself to two arms you can just have a knife arm but the fact that they had to design fabricate and engineer a little holster for its giant pocket knife (laughs) just in case like we know in the 80s they had or in the 90s they had the technology to put a big hacking spike in robocop's arm you can't put a big spike in that future avatar's hand come on now what if he needs to pick up something without stabbing it though didn't think of that, did you? Yeah, but what it's do retractable. you need to pick up without stabbing? <laughs> That's true. When you're a war mech. Yeah. <laughs> Books are for nerds. Stab. <laughs> uh, well, so yeah. I guess it needs to retract its knife so that it can pick up its gun, which is also <laughs> a separate piece of equipment. Right. And not uh, just attached somewhere upon the body of this mech. <laughs> so... So yeah, they finally decide that Morpheus is gonna give to give to give his big speech. There's a couple other like little like person like character building things. Like Link goes home to his wife, and his wife is like, "You gotta stop going to work." And he's just like, "I well, gotta go to wife, work." His wife is the sister of the pilot that died in the first movie, which yes. is weird. Yeah, 
This is yes. not okay. Uh, well, and like, and and on top of that, the pilot in the first movie, he doesn't die in the first movie. He lives to the end. He dies at some point in between the movies. Yeah, he's oh, got another right. job yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so, he's actually alive. He just works in like Zion, San Francisco, across the bay. Yeah, he got like a, he got an administrative job, like Alan Ruck. Right, <laughs> he's pushing the papers around for the council. So, uh, yeah, Morpheus gives this big speech about, like, hey, isn't it cool that we're all alive? And everyone is like, yes. And then we get sweaty, get techno, and fuck. Every every time, the this is one of the few notes I have about this movie that I could, like, wrote down was every time the house techno beats sneak in under the orchestral score of this movie, my ears glaze over and I just stop caring about everything happening. Yeah, this is about to be a very boring montage. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just like an old man and this is my get off my lawn moment, but I hate the music in this movie the minute, like, the cool electro stuff gets in there. <laughs> like, I just, it makes me care so much less. If yeah. you replaced all of that bullshit techno drum stuff and just had a regular orchestral score, this movie would go from, like, it would jump a letter grade for me. A whole letter grade. <laughs> but, I mean, what are you going to play orchestrally behind this big, stupid rave? The whole point of which is to show you people's naked bodies through their very, very, barely existing clothing. I don't know, like Yakety Sacks or something? <laughs> yeah, right? Literally anything. Or you just put on uh, fucking like Air Supply or something, dude. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of making love out of nothing at all. Come on now. <laughs> Honestly, any Jim Steinman penned song would do. It just so wasn't think- 2003 enough. Well, here's the thing. So all of the music in the world of Zion has to be done physically because once we put all of our music up in the cloud and the cloud is a machine that turns on us, they have all of our music. So they just got to do like big drum music and weird techno beats. But techno beats are made with computers, which are against us. No, no, no. They're made with the mouth. (laughs) <laughs> no, John, John, that's Why that's do you think dubstep. DJ Marshmallow that's has dubstep. to wear that big... Yeah, DJ Marshmallow has to wear that big mask so that it can echo properly. Otherwise, he would just look stupid. You know, this yes. is in fact true. <laughs> Other, otherwise, he'd look otherwise, stupid. Otherwise, he'd look stupid. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, DJ we, Marshmallow joining that long... That long history of stupid DJs wearing dumb masks. <laughs> Guys, what if DJ Marshmallow was the one? I think I would just surrender the war at that point. It's not <laughs> worth it. It's oh, not yeah, worth absolutely. it. Absolutely, no. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, Morpheus gives a speech about how it's fucking time and everybody fucks. And, and uh, while they're fucking, Neo and Trinity are having like up close fucking, and like it's they like, seem to be. No, like, hip movement whatsoever. They seem to be, like, laying parallel to each other. Just sort of, like, caressing each other's faces. Well, this is 2003, and this is a major Warner Brothers studio release. The amount of thrusting they were probably allowed to do was minimal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Does it come out to R, or is it PG-13? It's rated R, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But uh, even so, uh, they didn't want to get like a like an X rating from the uh, MPAA for 
too much hip thrust and from yeah. George Bush's MPAA. But it is a. <laughs> but I will say their their intermittent sex scene is very sweaty and very uh, grunty. Grunt. Um, and I'm not be... sure it comes to a conclusion. I think Neo has a nightmare in the middle of it and stops short. I, I think believe you're that's right. true. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. also think that in order to get the actors to kiss, they had to smear peanut butter over their faces because they are <laughs> definitely trying to like consume each other. <laughs> yeah, they're they're doing that. Uh, it's a very uncomfortable scene. It's just uncomfortable all the way through the rave. The sex is weird. We're a full half hour into the runtime of this movie, and like, yeah, nothing of consequence has actually happened. Everything is set up, but like, hold on a second, let's do a ten minute weird rave orgy. Yeah, yeah, it it feels like the the Wachowskis were trying to build the world a little bit, which I, I I guess in one way I understand that. But in another way, it's been built so poorly. Yeah. 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 So uh, Neo goes for a little late night walk and he bumps into uh, like... Emperor Palpatine! <laughs> just weird old guy who's just no, like, I was born is... in the Matrix, but I stopped and now I don't ever sleep because I slept enough for one lifetime. Anyway, Neo, you want to go for a walk with me? Neo says, no, thank you. I'm good. No, you really should go for a walk with me. Okay, let's go for a walk. They go into the bowels of the city, and this is my favorite scene that has ever been written, edited, filmed, sound mixed, and put out for the world to consume. (laughs) Old man is looking at the guts of the city saying, hey, isn't it funny how, like, we rebelled against machines, but here we are using machines? And Neo's like... Oh, so you're saying machines are bad. No, I just think it's interesting that, like, we need them, but they need us to build and maintain them. So you're saying that we both need each other. Is that the point? No point is the line of dialogue that concludes this scene. Yeah, I believe he says, what is it, like, I'm too old to have points or something, or old men don't make points? Yeah, and it's just like, cool. Glad Good we scene, everybody. Time. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. Woof. Uh, yeah, but to sit down at a word processor and literally type out the line of dialogue from a character saying, there was no point to this conversation. <laughs> uh, and not so in a next... cool, like, HAL 9000 way where it's just like, this conversation can serve no point. Actually, this conversation never had a point. In fact, we're not even in space. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a dream. So uh, the next, the next day, everyone. The wakes next day, up. they decide to start the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Neo. Neo is supposed to go. They've they've heard uh, from the Oracle, so uh, Neo is going to go uh, and and talk to the or- Oracle. And he goes to this apartment, and there's a guy there, and he's like, "I'm the guardian, or whatever." Or who, and he's the like, "Keykeeper." Now the no, no, later. no. The well, Mr. Keychain goes goes later in this yeah. movie. So this guy's like, "I'm the guardian. We have to fight." And he's like, "I'll fight you." And they fight for a <laughs> long time. I'll fight anybody. <laughs> I'm and it's so worth, bored. It's worth pointing out that this will be the best hand to hand fight in this movie. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so they have a really, really good hand-to-hand fight, and then eventually the guy's just like, "Stop! I just wanted to test you." Okay. Yeah, I needed to this make sure way. you were the one. 
yeah. which is bananas because the Oracle knows he's the one. She's the one who told him he's the one. And I like that Neo was just like, you could have asked. And the guy's just like, and no, he just, says, you don't know someone until you fight them, which is like, buddy, settle down. Yeah, <laughs> the oldest of the sam- samurai movie tropes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so they, they go, go to they go to fight park where Oracle is hanging out. <laughs> yeah, come on candy. down to fight park. It's got pigeons and basketball. Tuesday's funnel cake day at fight park. <laughs> come ride the punch, and afterwards get in line for the kick. <laughs> fight park, fight park, fight park. They have a largely incomprehensible discussion about nothing. And then they just those up, right? They basically, they have a whole discussion about the main thesis of this movie, which is like, is there, if I was fated to be the one, is there such a thing as free will? Or is everything we're supposed to do supposed to happen and happen that way? And there's nothing we can do about it. It's just the same conversation that every character is going to have for the rest of recorded time in this movie. (laughs) You're not wrong. Uh, and then uh, I uh, do really like though real quick I think the actor that plays the Oracle is insanely charming and super good at like navigating all of this gobbledygook to yes, the point absolutely. where she says do you want to sit down and have some candy and he says am I supposed to sit down and have some candy no I'm not going to and then he sits down and he's like I, I did it because I wanted to and she <laughs> just sure you did yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, one of the thing I like, one of the things I like about the Oracle is that the Oracle is meant to be this fount of wisdom who knows all these things, but she's just like a cool old sassy grandma. She's right. definitely like enjoying. Like it's it's later on uh, explained or hinted at that she is a program that helped design the Matrix. And it's clear that what's in it for her was just fucking with people. Yeah, she is the she's the Empire Strikes Back version of Yoda. Like when Luke first meets Yoda, <laughs> yeah. like her whole thing is just goofing on dudes. <laughs> yeah, and it's great. So be, she basically says, uh, for reasons that I can't remember, you need to go find the keychain program that has yeah, all the passwords. The, yeah, you need to make the keymaker because he can get you to the source. Yeah. And then uh, John Woo directs one shot this entire movie because <laughs> right. 50 pigeons fly out and you see Agent Smith walking forward. And then Keanu Reeves is like, Smith. And he's like, Mr. Anderson, did you get my gift? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I don't understand, but somehow part of you imprinted on me or I don't know. Anyways, I'm here now. There's a thousand of me. Let's fight. Yeah, and again, uh, it bears mentioning that Hugo Weavings is just having far too much fun. Oh, absolutely. Um, This fight, it's known as the Burley fight. Um, It's Neo versus thousands of Smiths. It it's cool for like the first minute and a half. It's the problem that every fight scene has. I think the first. The problem with this Guys, whole recording conceit, remotely is working out super yeah, well. Right. Uh, <laughs> the problem with this whole conceit is that bringing in a hundred Smiths means that none of the actual action that happens to or from any of the Smiths is at all intricate or interesting at all. He's just punching yeah. and kicking 
and it's almost as if a he's, it's a kata. He could be doing a wushu dance, and there are just computer graphics flying away from him. Well, as it's ninja to, rules. Yeah, where there's if no there's fight. one ninja, he's invincible. But if there's an army of ninja, they're all terrible because all <laughs> yes. of their power is spread out. I will say that the first like. The opening salvo of this fight is very cool, where yeah. it's just, like, six Smiths versus one. But, like, every fight in this entire movie, it doesn't build. It just enters the next phase of the fight, and then it just stays at that level until the next phase. Like, there's no but arc the movie, to any of the fights. There's but just, the movie now there's five, now there's ten, now there's a hundred, and... In those blocks of time, it is at the exact same level of intensity for yeah. way too long. Well, the movie's idea of heightening is just more, more. Correct. Like, there's literally a part yeah. where one of the Smiths goes, more, we need more. And then, like, Smiths run around a chain link fence like the gang's coming after the warriors on Coney Island. <laughs> and he's, and, like, Neo's fighting them all off. And this is the first chance we really get to see in broad daylight the weird rubbery CG stunt double of Keanu Reeves. And it's, it is, it's distracting at a lot of times. And I get it. It's 2003. Digital effects are, have come such a long way. So, like, I understand I don't know, it. man. A year prior to this, they had six-foot-tall Christopher Lee sword-fighting a dang-dang Yoda. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I, I guess I guess the thing is that what bothers me is how much they rely on it for things they don't need to. Yeah, especially since the actors obviously have the ability to do interesting fight choreography. Almost right. everyone they've yeah. hired is totally capable of doing something much more interesting than the CG allows. What, what really takes me out of the scene, though, is that if you pay attention to any of the background smiths, it's very clear that these are just regular stuntmen wearing bad Hugo weaving masks <laughs> or just have a bad Hugo weaving, like, haircut, haircut. Yeah. and sunglasses. And, and whoever shot these scenes was like, man, that should, that should be fine. No one's going to notice that. No one will know. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, this fight goes on for an interminable long time yeah. before, like, Neo, uh, and, like, Neo just, the fight. He just supermans out. There is, yeah, he again, just flies away. No, Neo no gets bored of the fight, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just fucks right off. And then they find out that, like, okay, so to get the Keymaker, he's being held captive by the Merovingian, which Ugh. is, like, an old program. So they go to the Merovingian's business office... And the Merovingian is a program. I will say this about the Merovingian. It's a great idea to have a program that just decides to be French, which yeah. I think is hilarious. Like, his whole thing is like, yes, I love French. I even like to swear. It's, it's the best language, especially du in. It's like wiping your ass with silk. And, like, he's such like a pervy creep. Like, th this is a very compelling villain because you desperately want him to fail, yes. you know? Like, yeah. it would be so satisfying to see his plans fall apart, but then when they do, it doesn't matter, and it's really unsatisfying. Yeah, but the whole scene is him basically just being like, you want me to do this, but I don't want to do that. I'm going to make this lady eat cheesecake and give her an orgasm. Now I have to pee. 
Goodbye. This, this scene from when they get down to the table all the way through the bathroom scene with his wife where she makes Neo uh, kiss her as if she were Trinity. This causes kiss me, like me one of your French girls. Yeah, we all real concern for the sanity of the person who wrote it. Like it's all <laughs> just so fucked up and disgusting and weird. I just can't handle it. Well, I think in the original in this script, the screenplay for this movie, uh, Merovingian's wife Persephone is described in the across the page as uh, red hot sex poured into a tight white dress. Jesus, <laughs> which <laughs> so I find gross, hilarious, and I'm <laughs> going to put that in all Valentine's Day cards, birthday cards. That's going That's gonna forward. Be- that's going to be on my gravestone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's this whole long scene where, again, it all boils. It's like a 10-minute scene. It all boils down to, no, I don't think I'll give you the key maker. Goodbye. Because the movie is more concerned with drilling home this point of cause and effect. Are we really free or are we just slaves to the cause and effect? And it's just like, buddy, you are the, you are the Elon Musk of this movie. You are the... <laughs> Last person to stumble upon this idea, and you're communicating it in the dumbest way possible. <laughs> One of the things I love, though, is, I, again, I love the idea that a program just up and decided to be French. Because that tells me that there are programs out there who are just like, yes, that's right, I just decided to be British, that's what I do. <laughs> Cheerio, please you hand know. me my fruitcake, my mincemeat pie, yes, goodbye, Thatcher's the best, blah, blah, blah. Like Madonna and, like, in the early 2000s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, there's, I like to think there's a bunch of stereotype programs out there. Like, there's one that's just like, yeah, it's me, I'm the Italian program. I just like the pasta and the wearing these shirts without the sleeves. That's what I do, eh? <laughs> Yeah, uh, definitely, The Matrix hasn't uh, reckoned with any kind of, like, social media pointing out that it's not okay to do these things. <laughs> Well, top of the morning to you. I'm the Irish program over here. I've got some soda bread. No raisins for me. Thank you very much. Please hand me that Guinness over there. I'm Irish. Like, so, it's, yeah. the whole, I just love that idea. It makes me so happy. And I'll do a thousand of those if I could. <laughs> but we don't have time because... Uh, Persephone... Are you sure? Because it's me. Southern program. I got oh, me no. a NASCAR and I'm going to drive me in my fucking grill. And I'm going to make some meat and... Uh, <laughs> Bush. I like that the one stereotype you could come up with for Southern American is I'm gonna make some meat. Uh, he has a grill. I mean, it's fair. You think that Mount True. Williams is grilling up eggplants or something? Come on now. Yeah, yeah no, no, you raise a good point. No, Sorry, so the sons wife. of the soil, uh, sultans of the soil. I also recently rewatched that Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Uh, John, it's the Sultans of Swing. I was Thank about you. to say, you want to be a Sultan of Swing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'd rather be the Rascal King. What's that? Yeah, right. Mighty, Mighty Boss Tones. Oh. Buddy, oh. it was their other song. Yeah, I bet it was. <laughs> Wait, whose other song? Mighty Mighty the Boss Tones. The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, friend. Oh. Yeah. Not the regular Mighty Boss Tones. The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Got you. Okay. See, I, I'm not familiar with the lesser Boss Tones works. 
Uh, so no. where should you be? I thought yeah. there was going to be more gas in this bit. I'm sorry. Nope. So we go to Persephone, and she takes us down to the kitchen, I guess. And no, she's it's like, the bathroom. They go to the bathroom, and uh, there's a and guy missing, and she be- goes... She goes, get out of here. And the guy's like, okay. And he is staring at a blank wall, pulls away, zips up his pants like he was pissing on a blank wall, and runs out. Yeah, it's one of those modern bathrooms where you can't tell what the toilet is. Is that what French people do? I assume that's what French people do. It's the Merovingians building, just pissing all over blank walls. (laughs) Yeah, funny thing is, that's not even a bathroom. It's a cubicle. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Persephone says, I'll give you the keychain program, but you gotta kiss me like you would kiss her, because I want to feel what love's like. Uh, and which this is Neo, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, well, Neo passes up a solid opportunity to ask the eternal question, what's love got to do with it, got to do with it, got to do with it? What sure, is love, secondhand but emotion? a secondhand emotion? Right. Instead, he acts as her private dancer and gives her a kiss. Um... But he's so tiny. That's true. That's true. But I mean, the thing was, the problem was, we didn't need another hero. <laughs> we but, just need the Mark, movie only, to. Con- we just need the only movie a hero to- will save us, and I'm not going to stand here and wait. Oh, you probably should though, and put that guitar down, and yeah, and, and John- really turn off your amp. <laughs> Yeah, and really stop holding out for a hero. It's just not going to happen. Also, get a haircut. But he's going to be here by the end of the night. <laughs> So anyways, he kisses her. She's like, that was a bullshit kiss. And he's like, all right, let me use some tongue this time. And then he gives her another kiss. And she's like, good enough. And <laughs> and then she goes, the key master's over here. And then they go. We into just got to this- go through my room of werewolves. Yeah, they go into this room. And she's like, oh, who knows? She like directly references like silver bullets and a gun. The well, murders- she's like, these programs are impossible to kill because after all, who carries around silver bullets and then kills one of them and says, go tell your master what I've done. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then they cool. give them the key maker and uh these goons show up and Neo's like, Morpheus, Trinity, take the key maker, get out of here, I'll handle these guys. And so This they is leave. my favorite escalation in a movie ever, where Merovigian is just like, Oh no, my girlfriend betrayed me because I'm a huge idiot. Open fire and all of his goons shoot an enormous amount of bullets that Neo just like force pauses and then drops to the floor and they're like all right well guns don't work maybe we can punch him in the face i guess <laughs> <laughs> well this whole this whole room is the half library half armory because it's covered wall to wall with giant martial weapons and so this whole fight scene is just like neo and these goons hand to hand fighting and then every now and then someone's like, ooh, a sword. I should try a sword. And then Neil's like, I also have a sword. And then they do swords <laughs> for a little bit. And then the swords go away. And then someone's like, ooh, an axe. I should try an axe. And Neil's like, I got an axe too. Let's do axes for a little bit. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> uh, then there's no more axe. And then Neil's like, ooh, a big stick. What about that? And everyone's like, oh, no, not a big stick. And then Neil <laughs> opens the door and he's in like... Alaska or something or Antarctica? I don't know Siberia. Yeah, he's in. Yeah, a, he's he's on some the, frozen uh, mountain somewhere. Yeah, he's got a, this, a sling ring like in Doctor Strange. Yeah, like this. This fight scene goes on for just like so goddamn long. Um, it's also and, like, not a great fight scene either. Yeah, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. It's 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 fine. It's there's fine. just 
Again, there's no arc to it. It's just now is the time that we fight with swords. Now is the time that we don't fight with swords. Now is the time we go back to fighting with swords. All the fights in the first Matrix felt inspired and and new and exciting. And all the fights in this movie feel like somebody took those fights in the first movie and then turned them into paint-by-numbers drawings in a book and said, you have to paint by numbers, but you only get three colors. (laughs) <laughs> yeah true. it's just like green black and gray and like that's it uh, so, hey, speaking of uh cool color palettes the uh weird dreadlock powders that are the <laughs> old the, agents yes. yep, the two the ghost powders. twins yeah who can go uh, they can they have shadow cats ability they can dematerialize as they feel like it's necessary uh no their superpower is being profoundly annoying <laughs> oh i was gonna say profoundly boring yeah they are boring and then their whole thing of finishing each other's sentences is just like i've been on like group outings with a couple that does that and it's just like i want to flush you down a toilet this is the worst john it's a twin thing you probably wouldn't understand it yeah they have a seek they have a secret language of that really hurt yep here's the thing (laughs) twins uh they got me right on the first try they didn't need to because they all condensed it into one baby that's right i'm calling out twins all the twins in the world need to move to Montreal so that all the things I hate can be in one place. Fair enough. That's that's good. Shots shots fired at Keep multiple births. That's true. Uh, meantime, uh, the Minnesota Twins get the fuck up to Montreal, you jerk bags. Whoa. Twin Cities, you get up to Montreal too. What about the Movie cities. Twins? Out of here, all the way out of here. Whoa. Now, if there were one of any of these things, like if it was the Minnesota One siblings, you can stay. The Minnesota Middle Children. Hi, I'm Joe Maurer. I'm Joe Maurer of the Minnesota Only Childs. Come on down to Target Field. Watch me hit some dingers. Uh, So, yeah, they they fuck off into a car so that they can chase... uh, The key guy. The key guy. The Morpheus and and Trinity. Morpheus are Uh, Because they're just like, oh, we got to go on the highway. (gasps) It's suicide on the highway. highway. Everyone dies on the highway. Yeah, the highway in Matrix Reloaded is agents in general in the first movie. In the first movie, when you see an agent, they're like, you gotta run. There's no fighting an agent. You can't beat them. And then by the end of that movie, they're like, well, Neo beat that one agent, so we can all fight agents. In this movie, every time someone sees an agent, they're like, get over here. I'm gonna punch your face, agent. But then they get to this movie, and they're like, well, what's bigger than an agent? A whole highway. (laughs) Well, Mark, life is a highway, and I'm gonna ride it all night long. That's right. I'm going to, I guess, dry hump this highway for hours on end. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, John, if, if you're going my way, I'll drive you all night long. That's... that's... Okay, 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 yeah! You guys are both married to other people. Oh, I read uh, the most infuriating uh, Wikipedia sentence ever. Uh, I can't remember what... I, I was looking up something about The Matrix, and for some reason, Bon Jovi popped up. And I'm like... <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm going to check out Bon Jovi's Wikipedia page. Oh, that's a bad uh, And they categorize Bon Jovi as 
glam rock. Yes. And it made me want to throw a brick through the screen no, because that no, is... it isn't. Yes, it was. Yeah, it absolutely is glam rock. Oh, my no. God. That guy put on no. so much makeup and hairspray. You just have to yeah. look at the old stuff. It's my mom hair had life-size posters of what he looked ah, like. See, Buddy, but it's not... No, 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 no. It's hair metal. It's no, 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 no. no. See, I, I, I got to take issue with Hair this. metal is ACDC. No, that's incorrect, too. Hair metal ACDC is, is hard bon Jovi, rock. my friend. No, Poison no, no, is on, also glam rock. Okay, you all need to shut up. I'm going to set you straight <laughs> Sorry, right I'm now. yelling into my okay? own microphone. <laughs> bon Jovi is part of the glam rock movement. He is the natural extension of and dumbing down of bands like The Sweet and uh, Mark Bolan and T-Rex and stuff like that. Poison, however, is part of the hair metal scene, which is Rat and and Cinderella and Slaughter and all those bands. The main difference is that those bands are more blues-based rock and roll with uh, squeedly guitar solos, whereas the glam rock is just more pop-based rock and roll. So Bon Jovi definitely fits more in the pop-based rock and roll, therefore he is glam rock. Uh, Poison uh, I'm going to say the, the Achilles heel to this entire argument Bon Jovi performed almost exclusively in jeans. Ipso facto, <laughs> not glam rock. Here's the problem, though. It depends on how indistinguishable you or how androgynous you were in your face-ups. And I think uh, CC from Poison is also that way, where you're, you're actively putting on a shitload of makeup and teasing your hair in the fashion of women of the 80s. And that's why they called them glam rock. I don't think if you're not putting on that spectacle, I don't think you're glam rock. I I, I think there's a D mark. I, I don't want this is not a music podcast, and I don't want to get into my very specific and very true thoughts on the demarcation between hair metal and glam rock. Just know that you're both wrong. I am right, and I will now delete everything you've said from the podcast. No, oh, no. All I we should get a guess. No other from... opinions shall be represented on the battle of glam rock v hair metal. No, no, no. We need to submit our questions to Kurt Loder and Kennedy and get a real definition. <laughs> oh, man. It blew my mind to find out that Kennedy was now a Fox News contributor. Dude, yeah, Kurt Loder writes sad. for Reason, a libertarian magazine. That yep. doesn't surprise me. Not as much, yeah. But, like, finding out that, like, Kennedy, the mononymed VJ from MTV is now like a hardcore conservative pundit, like blew my mind. Because well, I, I mean, hadn't heard the name Kennedy in like 20 years. If part sure, of the sure. reason you lost your job was the growing popularity of Bill Bellamy, one would imagine <laughs> you might end up sympathetic to the Fox crowd. That's true. Uh, good old Bill Bellamy. Yeah, man, right? Whatever happened to Bill Bellamy? He hosted uh, uh, Last Comic Standing for a little while. Oh, nice. Yeah, he yelled at me in line in Nashville. Yeah, you take that, asshole. <laughs> Bill Bellamy's a good guy. Well, he's like, where are you from? And I was like, Elgin, Illinois. And he goes, what's that? And I said, it's outside Chicago. And he goes, you should have said Chicago. Moving on. No, Bill Bellamy, you are incorrect. People <laughs> That's who live in the suburbs thinking. shouldn't say they're from Chicago. Exactly. The thing is, he had a pre-bit. Uh, he had like a solid 10 minutes on Chicago. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, tough. So anyways, uh, this high, that was the time of the big highway chase, which is, again, like 
a scene that has a lot of cool moments and a lot of interesting things happen, but it goes on for so long, after a while you get numb to it. It's yeah. like sitting on one of those vibrating chairs at the mall. After like it, At first you're like, oh, my back needed this, but after two minutes it's like, well, I can't walk now because my legs are asleep. <laughs> yeah. I will say I like it culminates in... Uh, it starts out as like a car motorcycle chase, mm-hmm. uh, then well, it's like Morpheus. a car chase. Then yeah. it's like then there's like it splits off into two pieces, and Morpheus like fights this agent on top of a truck while yeah, yeah. Uh, Trinity goes on like a motorcycle car chase. Right. Yeah, and I will say I really like the the top of truck fight that Morpheus has because <clears throat> it's pretty cool to see, like an agent like a classic agent shows up on. Like an overpass yes. and jumps down onto the, yeah. the the like tractor trailer part of the truck, uh, and the fight they have is like two bruisers going at it in this Matrix fight style, and that is really cool to see the like uh, on purpose slower, more plodding, more like yeah, ru- like if any of those it's hits not- connected, it would be like your face is shattered. Yeah, it's yeah. not Ken versus Ryu. It's fucking Zangief versus Hagar. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's just two meatheads clocking each other. <laughs> uh, but then there's as a the giant... Key, as the key man tries not to fall off a truck. Yeah. Because this is also a fucking escort mission level. Yeah, True. definitely. Uh, but I will say, like in Resident Evil 4, you can just yell at Key Man to just like, get in that dumpster until I'm done shooting all these <laughs> not zombies. Idiot. That's true. Uh, yeah, uh, Trinity eventually is able to evade the agents on her motorcycle and disappear for a little bit. They continue on after Morpheus. He fights so for a little I while. So do I remember correctly that this ends with a big explosion that, like, shoots them into safety? No, that it makes, ends with so a big get, explosion, but Neo Superman picks him up at the last minute, and he carries them is. into safety. Yeah, Neo That's right. Like, see, I didn't put on my 3D glasses in time to see fucking cool <laughs> flying Neo pop out. Yeah. So, like, Neo is in, like, Kathmandu or something, and he's like, Link, where am I? And he's like, you're at fucking Mount whatever, Kilimanjaro. And he's like, oop, all right. And he supermans across the world, and just as that truck does a dark night and flips up on its back and explodes, and then it sends time ripples out, they fly in the air, and Neo, like, grabs them both and is somehow able to lift, like, 500 combined pounds of human and fly off into the sun. And yeah, then all buddy, of a sudden, he's got all the cheat codes activated. He's he got, does have all the cheat codes. And he's then got all, God mode. He's got no clip mode. He's got unlimited ammo mode. Uh, he's got all the also, money. Yeah. And he's then got they, one hit kill. He's got <laughs> big head mode activated and he line He can see mode. through walls. Oh, so he just put on the game genie is what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. That's what okay. being the one is about. It's just, a, okay, life is a game genie. Understood. So he flies back and they go back to the ship, I think? I don't remember. Uh, you guys they keep talking. They go back to a big comfy I'm gonna go, chair. You guys keep talking. I'm going to go pee and I'll see if I can pick up what, what happens. <laughs> I, I would just like to point out for the record that I have 
uh, peed once and gotten my cat out of several scuffles in this apartment, and I have done the gentlemanly thing of holding my finger up to the camera to indicate one second, muting my microphone, and going about my business <laughs> so as not to disturb the flow of the podcast or put in any unneeded edit points. Well, my see- wife has come home during the recording of this, <laughs> opening the door directly into this recording area, and I have again simply hit the mute button to make sure that it doesn't disturb the flow of this podcast and create unnecessary edit points. Basically, I'm just trying to talk as much garbage as I can (laughs) to make Mark feel real bad and stupid when he needs to go through and edit all of our tracks together because he's a real ding-dong for just announcing on the podcast (laughs) that he's gotta go pee and for us to just take up the slack. (laughs) Patrick, what are your least favorite qualities of Mark the Idiot? (laughs) Probably all the ones you just enunciated. I have been working so hard to be as quiet as possible (laughs) to make sure that my cat isn't tearing apart my closet. I have been so slick to just naturally slide back into the conversation to pick up on context clues of what has been said while I'm gone. And big, dumb, idiot Mark just stumped you guys can be entertaining and I'll go pee. He's still gone. Like, did he go pee or is he like getting groceries or something? (laughs) So anyway. So So what happens to the architect? (laughs) You're going to want to have a listen, buddy. Colonel Sanders, no reason to listen to anything said on this podcast (laughs) while Mark was gone. It's weird that you would even bring that up, Neo. (laughs) Uh, uh, so yeah, they decide that they need to go to the source, and the way that they get there is through a boring hallway. But yeah, for some yeah. reason, Trinity also needs to go to a power plant, and I could not follow this well, plot thread this to is, save my That's because the, the plot big... plot, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense, but it requires two ships worth of guys, and they've got to like shut down the power and the auxiliary power and some other bullshit all at the same time so that Neo can walk through this door in this dumb hallway with this key guy. Yeah, and like the thing is to understand what Niobe does on this mission, you have to play the game Enter the Matrix, which is this mission. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's it's pretty they have to shut down all of New York's power grid and they have to shut down the auxiliary so that it doesn't come back up. And that yeah. lack of power will open the door like, you know, in the basement of Nagahomi Tower. Yes. Yeah, and it'll the- open the door, they'll get on the floor, everybody does the dinosaur. Absolutely. That's correct. So they. I mean, it was a night like this forty million years ago. Right. That's true. That's very true. Little cigarette. I got a monkey skull to go. I didn't want to eat it indoors. However, it's weird. Fire. uh... The sky was cool as ice. I felt a little tired, so I watched a little Miami Vice. Ooh, then I walked the dinosaur. Nice. I walked the dinosaur war. I love so much that a major plot point of the Super Mario Brothers movie revolves around needing to do the dance, walk the dinosaur. And they don't even do the real walk the dinosaur dance in that movie. No, they do. They shake their heads like Jacob's Ladder and it's real weird. (laughs) Jacob's Ladder and the Super Mario Brothers movie have too many similarities. (laughs) There are too many people with... Creepy lizard tails. Very true. Uh, uh, not enough eraser head babies, though, in either movie. That's true. So, well, I, I'm, I will, I will go on the record by saying most movies need more eraser head babies. 
<laughs> I just I All love the fact that movies. David Lynch has told exactly one other human being how he accomplished the eraser head baby, and it's his daughter. So <laughs> I gotta make friends with her because he'll never tell, but she might. <laughs> That's true. I mean, if you tell her that boxing Helena was good, maybe she will. I just really want her to turn into the, like, Christopher Tolkien to his J.R.R., <laughs> where she just becomes this, like, dedicates the rest of her life to, like, archiving the weird scribblings of David Lynch, putting all <laughs> of his emails into context. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Hell yeah. Anyway, uh, you know what is even cooler than David Lynch? A long, boring hallway with a whole bunch of Hugo Weavings, because that's where Neo finds himself. Yeah, once again... And while Jada Pinkett Smith's team totally shuts down the power, the other team fails to because their real-life ship gets bombed by the Sentinels. Right. So then Trinity has to go in, and then we watch the opening sequence again. So real quick, I think a plot thread that we forgot to even touch on, but the movie keeps dedicating enormous amounts of time to, is that Agent Smith is in the real world now. I was just about to say. somehow got to call out. This is never explained. No, there's another guy on one of the other, like, Matrix ships who in the real world gets absorbed by Agent Smith uh, with the finger, hand, and the chest, and then gets brought back into the real world by phone, and now Agent Smith is using his body as like a weird, like flesh golem to like and under the real world. I couldn't tell <laughs> if this character was also played by Hugo Weaving, it's or if not. they just got someone who looked stupidly like him. They got but a, just it's off probably enough. one of his like stunt doubles. Stunt doubles, yeah, true. But he does a great impression, and his whole thing, like, the character's name is Bane, uh, as if, like, they couldn't make him look evil enough. And he spends the whole movie after that walking up to people and going, we'll see you later, in the exact Agent Smith voice, and nobody's just like, eh, that guy sounds creepy. Everyone's just <laughs> Especially like, because he keeps going to, like, the council meetings just saying... I think we should surrender to the machines. <laughs> There's like the one meeting where he, they, like, like the guys, like, like the the whole council, which includes Cornell West for some reason, is just like, hey, who we have? We need, we need volunteers to go on Morpheus's mission to blow up this thing. And then one team is like, I'll do it. And then another team is like, I'll do it. And then Bane like leans into his captain's ears and he goes. We should do this, Captain. And he's like, he goes, Bane, shut the fuck up. And he goes, uh, okay. And then Niobe takes it. And then her boyfriend is like, Niobe, how dare you? And she's like, you shut the fuck up. And he's like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Don't worry, our subplot will also peter out in the third movie and be of absolutely (laughs) no consequence. You're absolutely right. There is also another plot thread, which is that the machines are actively drilling their way to Zion. Like, we keep cutting back to yeah, the yeah, machines. they're hacking the planet. They have yeah, actual giant, like, supersized drills that are just, like, drilling holes into the planet and, like, going down. Um, and some of those scenes are actually... I, I, I like the visuals of them. Like, the visuals of, like, the Sentinels in the Machine City and, like, how the machines do all their stuff I think are super cool. They um, just do a really poor job of communicating how much we're supposed to be scared, like how close they are to the city, what the consequences are, like the, oh, yeah, the on the one just hand, don't they feel... save they save literally all of that for like the beginning of Matrix Revolutions. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, uh, so anyway, we're in this hallway. A bunch of Agent Smiths come out, and they're just like, we're not going to let you go through the door. You will never walk the dinosaur. And Neo says, bullshit, and just like, fucking, uh, what is that? I'm, nope, nope. Uh, Raiden in the first Mortal Kombat yeah. video yeah, game yeah. just is able <laughs> to do He does the that. old uh, back back forward. Hell yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, he... And he just flies through all of the agents. Uh, Mr. Keyman gets shotted up real good, but it's okay because he's through the door. And who yeah. should he find on the other side? But the a funky Colonel Sanders. That's right. So while Neo, Neo uh, so Morpheus uh, t- takes off and he, he fucks off and leaves and gets out of the Matrix. Neo goes in a room. Uh, it's surrounded by old CRT TV sets, each of them showing another version of him. And there's an old man and he goes, oh, Neo, now I'm going to tell you exactly what all of this has been doing and happening and why you're here. But you're going to ask a question that doesn't matter. Why am I here? Yes, exactly. Just like I said, another question that doesn't matter. I'm going to talk for another 30 minutes and every now and then some of the screens behind you go, fuck you. But it doesn't matter. None of this matters. Yeah, blah, so blah, blah, such blah, an blah, epic blah. pile of ponderous bullshit too the actual like plot revelation is very cool that it's like you're actually the sixth version of the one and it's basically right. just a big system reboot that we do every few years to just like whenever the humans are winning the war too much we just set everything back to zero and start it all up again yeah this, this be the- scene is actually like it's a pretty cool scene that should have been the, like, third scene of the movie. Because well, everything after this is just like, oh, he thought that he was this, like, cyber Jesus, and it turns out, like, no, you were actually supposed to do all the things you thought were cool rebellion things, and then what do you do? Yes. Is, like, an interesting, dramatic question. It's, but the this fact would have that been we've great. got... Ten minutes been, left in this movie. Right, there's no time to answer it. I mean, it would have been great at the beginning of the movie, as like again, as like that part of the hero's journey where you are faced with the impossible task or or something that absolutely shatters your soul. You leave the first Matrix movie believing I am the one, I am the savior of humans, I will liberate Zion from the machine menace, and we will endure as humans. And then if this scene comes in the beginning of this movie, it goes, oh shit, I'm bullshit, I'm nothing. All of this was like a fucking game. How do you handle that? How do you like process it? But at the end of this scene, he just goes, I think I'm going to go take my girlfriend, I'll figure it out yeah. later, bye! <laughs> Yeah, it's really yeah. frustrating. It's also they uh, a couple do of not, They tell that, us that this is a thing that is happening in this world, but they don't tell us why. Why do the machines seem to need Zion to exist? They need is a question the hum- that's never answered. They need humans because f- of the batteries, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but well, why need- do they let humans live outside of the batteries? Because the architect scene suggests that that's part of a necessary ecosystem. Uh, I guess hu- that they have to it's have to make the... more humans so yes. that they can harvest those humans. Because it's implied that at the end of every Matrix reset, they do just raid Zion and take all the new humans that got made from all that cave orgy fucking sure. and plug them up into yes. the batteries. He specifically says the 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 one gets to choose like the ten like humans who survive to repopulate Zion over the next like couple generations before it all comes down, you know, crashing again. Um, There's a couple of very specific lines that I want to call out because they are hilarious. Please do. The first one is 
Uh, Architect explains, like, I made a paradise, but humans didn't like it. And then I made a woman who helped me make it. If I'm the father of the Matrix, she's the mother. To which Neo says, oh, the Oracle. And he says, please. Okay, well then who was it, dude? Like, was I right? Because that's unclear. No, I, I think what he means is, like, calling her the Oracle is the oh, please part. Like, it's definitely that she's the gotcha. person. It's just that, like, he's, like, the humans call her the Oracle. But to her, to him, he's just like, it's just this program what helped me build this place. It's just funny to see him get catty for a second. Oh, sure. <laughs> now that I agree with. Uh, and also, I actually I wrote this line down because I found it so profoundly hilarious, which is the architect just drops this big plot bomb on Neo uh, and says, like, Trinity's about to die. What are you going to do about it? Uh, the architect says, it is interesting to read your reactions. And then it cuts to Keanu Reeves stone face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Neo has a choice. There are two doors, the architect tells him. Behind one door is the source that will take him to the machine city. He will fulfill the function of being the one, choose the people that will survive the raiding of Zion so that the whole Matrix can start over again, day saved, blah blah blah. The other, the other door, door is a mystery prize that you gotta <laughs> give up the sure thing of the washer-dryer because it might be a used car. But it True. might be a goat True. Uh, you get to keep that goat, though? Cause that's true. I mean, goats. Maybe. Then you can get some Just move to Appalachia and make a new life for yourself with that goat. I get it. So um, he blows through door two and goes yeah, to save he, Trinity. Yeah, he goes through the door two, which is, if he goes there, he can save Trinity, but it will lead to the extinction of the human, the complete extinction of the human race. Which, and by extinction, point, would be the extinction of the machines, right? No, the architect... Patrick, Neil are brings, you saying that... Machines need humans, and humans need machines? Is that your point? No, I'm saying that the entire construction of this concept does not work and leaks like a sieve. Sure, I was setting you up for a fun callback, but whatever. No, I didn't want it. I'm too mad. I was just as mad when I watched the architect scene this time as when I watched it 20 fucking years ago. It's like, this is dumb. You people blow. The architect specifically says... That uh, Neo says, like, but you need us to live. You need our fucking juice to power yourselves. And the architect says, like, we've adapted before. We'll adapt again. We'll figure out a way. Like, we're a, we're we're fine. We don't need you. We just prefer okay. this. Sure. I think the I think the robots just like the stupid rigmarole. I think the robots just like the way the people taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know from the first Matrix that they definitely hate the way the people smell. That's true. true. Well, so that's, I can't. And well, taste is like sixty percent. Uh, yeah, taste is fair, about sixty percent smell. So. That's Agent Smith, who was a program. Uh, the true. robots. The robots are definitely drinking the goo out of people. <laughs> Maybe it's for, like a durian fruit where it tastes the, bad in a good way. <laughs> yeah, or it smells really bad, but it tastes really good. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so, anyway, anyways, uh, he Neo, fucking like defibrillates. Trinity's code heart. Yeah, he no, flies he the reaches door. into her like when they take the cancer out of Andy Kaufman and he takes the <laughs> bullet out. <laughs> and then he heals her all up, same way. Nice. Yes. Uh, and then they 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 finally exit the Matrix, day saved, they're back on the Nebuchadnezzar, they're headed back to Zion, but oh no, the squiddies are close and they well, close And this is in. another cool like idea for a scene where Neo says like 
hey, the architect told me that the one is just another system of control. There have been ones before me. There will be ones after. Like, you have been fighting for a lie your whole life, and it has put you at odds with the people that you do love and care about, but you have sacrificed that comfort for the sake of a thing that turned out to be just another system of control, which is a very cool place to put Morpheus, except he just says, nah, it'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> He sure does. He's like, nah, that can't be. Meanwhile, the the Squiddies attack the ship. They begin tearing it apart. They set like an EMP bomb to go off. And they like get out of the ship. Oh, they it blow up. up this ship real good. Yeah. They blow up the ship real good. But Do you guys know that Adam Savage worked on the uh, model work for this movie? Nice. That does not no, surprise me. That. Nice. There's some solid model work in this yeah. movie. Um, so then a bunch of Sentinels come after them in, like, real life, and there's nothing they can do until Neo realizes that he could see code in the real world, and he lifts up his hands, and this he... This is ex- so infuriating. And he, and he has all EMPs of a sudden... Them. Yeah, he has force powers in the real world now, and he explodes all these things. Yeah. Now, so the logical explanation for this is, like, oh shit, we already know that Zion is another level of control... Oh man, he can see code in Zion, ergo Zion is just another level of the Matrix, and there's still another, like, real world outside of both Zion and the Matrix. Except that no, uh, Oracle just explains in the next movie, oh, he uh, he tapped into the source, but he wasn't uh, ready for it, I guess. Which doesn't explain anything. Yeah, Nothing ever what, does. From <laughs> what I understand from the architect scene is that... Neo is, in essence, like Smith, like a recurrent program glitch that takes over a human husk of a body every now and then and is able to do crazy things. So because this weird program glitch has now made its way to the real world, it can now affect things like it does in the Matrix, but in the real world. But it's also stupid. Yeah, it seems like a long way to go to avoid the better answer and give a much worse dumb answer. I mean, to be fair, I'm sure a lot of the questions in this movie are answered with, wouldn't it be cool if he just blew them up with his hands? Right. And to be fair, it's pretty cool that he blew them up with their hands. It's very cool to see, but once you try to think of it as part of any of the story, it just all falls apart. It doesn't make any (laughs) sense at all. Plus, if he can just blow them all up with his hands, why doesn't he just blow them all up with his hands? Yeah, why don't they just drop him down? Because he gets a sleepy time. After he blows them up with the hands, he gets a sleepy time. Buck up, Nightcrawler. Sometimes you have to (laughs) teleport twice. Yeah, sometimes you strap a parachute to the back of Ben Grimm and just drop him into a bed of lagoons and let him punch shit. Right. So they they take uh, fucking passed out Neo to uh, the medical bay of a ship that has real life Agent Smith on it. Oh no, what a good cliffhanger that will not pay off in any interesting way in the next movie. It will. He stabs people. It and they tell us that so long to real life people. Agent Smith, uh, he like sold everybody out, so all the ships have been fucked up, and there's no fleet left except for I guess it's Niobe's ship they're on. Yes, I think yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Like anyway, anyway, that's the end of the Matrix. Then the movie reloaded. Ends. Reloaded. Uh, so uh, that's would gonna... it surprise you to learn that the Wachowskis wrote the entirety of the script for the third movie on? One airplane ride from Tokyo to Los Angeles. I mean, it that's would a not long surprise flight, me, though. though. <laughs> 
That's about how long it took Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan to write No Holds Barred. Nice. <laughs> uh, and that's going to take us to bullet points. Bullet points! And our very first bullet point is body count. Body counts. John, what do you think the body count of The Matrix Reloaded is? Well, I guess, do programs have a soul? How well, deep are we getting on well, this? We'll say for the sake of this movie, uh, yes. Because on the one hand, souls. you can say that the programs do have a soul because Agent Smith decides not to die, and that's why there's so many of him, so he does have free will. But if we take the viewpoint of the Oracle, that everything is preordained and we're just living out our prescribed paths, then you can argue that nobody in this movie has a true soul okay. because the component of choice has been taken away. If 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 you die in the movie, regardless of if you are a program or a real-life human being, you die. That's Let's just say it's a death. It counts. <laughs> All right. I'm not interested uh, in having philosophical quick... shit spill over into my real life. <laughs> Although, uh, a quick and important distinction to make. Is no! being taken over by an Agent Smith a form of death? Yes. Or are you technically still... Then a thousand, a thousand people die. <laughs> because we come back in the third movie and it's oops all Agent Smiths. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Patrick? Uh, I'm going to go with 400. Okay. The body count for Matrix Reloaded is 31. 31. <laughs> that is That's absolutely not true. All of the ships get blown all up all and all the those ships. people die. Right, there's Look. dozens of ships with at least seven or eight crew members apiece. Look, you can take that up with the good people at alloutofbubblegum.com. <laughs> but the death count for this movie is 31. I watched a whole six-minute video about it. All right. If you say so. I don't. I don't agree with it either. But look, <laughs> I wasn't about to take copious notes during the making, like the watching of the movie. Oh, I yeah, was no. too busy tuning out whenever the techno music came in and playing Lemmings on my phone. That's so. Fair. Yeah. So that's gonna take us to our next bullet point. Best kill. Best kill. Patrick, what do you think the best kill? And the Matrix Reloaded is. Uh, technically, it's the kill of the two uh, albino twins. But for my money, it's the kill of that Cadillac Escalade. <laughs> the Cadillac gets cut with a samurai sword. And then it falls off the side of like a highway. And then he shoots it until it explodes. I've never seen a Cadillac take so much. Yes, in such and a then, little time. And then the ghosts of the of the twins literally speed ascend into heaven. Right, they try to outrun <laughs> the explosion that still burns them somehow. No, no, no. The explosion is making them go to heaven faster. Faster. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's roll out of the way slash cut a car in half is is good shit. That's true. I agree. John, best kill in the Matrix Reloaded. Uh, I'm going to have to say not applicable, because if you look closely <laughs> enough, each person that appears to die actually accrued enough points for an extra life. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, all back or at the if we're going by point. MMO rules, uh, they just need to lose half their gold, and they just respawn at their last rest point. That's fair. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Mark, best kill in The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, I am going to go with the first agent 
who uh, gets Agent Smithed. Uh, just because though, I remember the first time I went and saw this movie, uh, I was super into it when we went and saw it in the theater. And when the agent Smith showed up, I was like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Agent Smith isn't dead. And then he put his hand into the stomach of another guy and turned him into an agent Smith. And it was the coolest goddamn thing in the world. I was like, Oh fuck. There's going to be like 13 agent Smiths. And I was so (laughs) pumped. And then by the time the movie was over and there were thousands of them, I was like, fuck this movie. I can't (laughs) believe it. Uh, and then Matrix Revolutions came around, and there's literally the entire population of the Matrix becomes Agent Smiths now. And I was like, "All right, now I'm just, I'm just mad." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but the first agent that what gets transformed into an Agent Smith, mostly because he goes, "You," and he goes, "Yes, me, 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 me too." It's just <laughs> such a great stupid joke scene. I mean, here's the thing, I. There's really not a lot of good deaths in the Matrix movies. Most of them happen... It's it's more about the fights, and there's not a lot of really cool, like, deaths. Most of the deaths are really simple, just like, that that guy got shot in the background, or, oh, they got caught in an explosion, or that's it. Like, the only good, cool death in the first Matrix movie is when Neo flies into Agent Smith's tummy and explodes him from the inside. Yeah. Not gooey enough. Well, if he came out like like at the end of Men in Black, where they're just <laughs> covered, covered in, in translucent yeah. goo. That's Hell true. Yeah. Instead, he's all just like numbers and shit. See, it'd have been cool <laughs> if he was covered in like the green like letters and like was brushing that shit off of him. Yeah, right. Also, would have been cool if he off. if he did a rap song recounting the plot of the movie over the credits. Well, that would have just been helpful, especially if you put that at the beginning of Matrix Reloaded, just to true. remind me of the previous movie. True, true. Since but it again, was like seven Will, or eight years before. Yeah, to be fair, Will Smith wasn't available to do it because he didn't understand the plot of this one either. So anyways, <laughs> that's going to take us to our next bullet point. Uh, war crimes, I don't think, count because this takes place in a year long beyond humanity. So we'll go with best weapon. Best weapon. John, what do you think the best weapon in The Matrix Reloaded is? Uh, I'm going to say that special cheesecake that the Merovingian <laughs> delivers to that lady. Oh, because or- you know what? Love is the weapon, Mark. Love is the weapon. Uh, no, I'm sorry, John. Love is the drug. Damn it. You're so- yeah, no. You one-upped me. Well played. Well played. Uh, but yes, that's a good call because it's... It's the only like piece of improvised weapon. Oh no, that's not true. There's the because there's my pick, Mark. Best weapon uh, when Neo pulls that giant stick out of the ground and has concrete oh, attached to it. The street sign. Yeah, that was gonna be my pick. Yeah, I don't think it's a street sign. It's like a it's like a light pole or something like that. And he yeah, just maybe. starts smacking Smiths around with it to the point that one of them he hits him into another bunch of Smiths and then it makes a bowling pin noise. Uh, fuck that movie fuck you but I, <laughs> it does do that it but i do totally like do that, that when he first pulls it out it has a big old hunk of concrete attached to it and then he hits a smith and it explodes all over the place it's very satisfying sure. um patrick best weapon well uh, i'm gonna have to go with morpheus's katana it cuts apart a cadillac escalade and then faithfully hangs on in the side <laughs> of a truck until morpheus needs it later 
For like, yeah, for like 30 minutes. Yeah, no. And it's in the side of a truck where that stuff's not really all that supportive. It totally yeah, should have fallen back it's out. It's basically like canvas. Come on. Yeah, pretty much. I will say there's a cool part during that highway chase where Morpheus has to get the key maker from off the back of Trinity's motorcycle and he stabs a sword into the side of this truck and then does like a Van Damme splits to hold himself up between the two trucks and then yep. grabs the key maker off of the motorcycle then throws him into the air to land on top of the truck and then like jumps up on the truck himself. It's real bitching. It's super All while cool. wearing his like awesome purple suit with vest and uh, car dealer arm holders. <laughs> Yes, yeah, he's definitely got, like, a, a Vegas dealer look to him. Yeah. I will say the one thing that sort of takes me out of that scene in particular is that the lighting compositing is just off enough that all I see is poor Lawrence Fishburne in a green screen studio just saying, like, this is going to look cool, right? Like, this isn't <laughs> a prank. To be fair, I think you can say that about about 75% of this movie. Yeah. There's like the the green screen compositing in this movie is not great even for the time. Yeah. Like even compared to like the first Matrix movie, it's like parts of this movie seem like they spent an insanely long amount of time on and parts of it seem so rushed that yeah. it, it it's it's it the movie kind of feels incomplete. Uh, in a way. But that's going to take us to well, our... Well, that's because it's setting up the third movie, buddy. That's fair. That's going to take us to our oh, final Oh, the third movie's point. totally going to solve all those problems, too. <laughs> that's going to take us to our final bullet point. Is this an action movie? Is this an action movie? Patrick, is Matrix Reloaded an action movie? Uh, I mean, despite the inordinate amount of just attention-killing, ponderous bullshit, it does have a great deal of action in it, and I'll go with yes, because mostly that's what it's trying to deliver, and they're trying to make the stakes of that action out of the ponderous bullshit. I don't think it's a particularly good action movie, but it is one. Fair. John, is The Matrix Reloaded an action movie? The first half of it, definitely not. But the back half of it, sure, why not? So it's one half an action movie. That's true. Matrix Reloaded Part 1, which (laughs) airs on the Thursday night movie slot. (laughs) You gotta turn in for Friday for Matrix Reloaded Part 2. That's on Dinner in a Movie, where they teach you how to cook uh, Matrix steak, I guess. Yeah, with Annabelle Gurwitch. Hell yeah. Yeah, who recently showed up on the Flophouse having watched the wrong Men in Black movie. (laughs) I think that's why that particular TBS block was in uh, the forefront of my consciousness. Nice, nice. Uh, Mark, is this an action movie? Uh, Absolutely, I think it is an action movie. Uh, Again, I don't think it's necessarily a a great action movie. I think there are some really awesome action stuff in this movie, but uh, yes, it is an action movie. We'll save the rest for final reviews. John matrix reloaded final review. Uh, I was a fool in high school to say that this was a, to say that equilibrium was better than the matrix. That was a terrible, terrible mistake. Bad take. (laughs) Bad take. And B, to say that Matrix Reloaded is better than the first Matrix. That was also a stupid garbage opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess my final review is uh, good job for uh, growing up. <laughs> well done. I still stand by that the third Matrix movie is unwatchable garbage. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Patrick, uh, final review of Matrix Reloaded. Uh, I It somehow was even more ponderously bullshitty than I remember it. The only thing I, I wish I could remember is how cool I thought the CGI was at the time. Because I don't remember that. Sure. Uh, Mark, final reviews of The Matrix Reloaded. After rewatching The Matrix, I know we just spent like uh, a very long time shitting all over this movie. It's not as bad as I remembered thinking it was when I walked out of the theater. Like, when I walked into the theater seeing this movie, I was so pumped and so excited and had just, was let down so hard, I felt at the time, um, you know, when I was 21 years old. Now, as an older guy, like, going back and rewatching the movie, I think there's a lot, there, are, there is a lot of good stuff in this movie and a lot of great ideas. I think there's just some poor execution of a lot of those ideas. And again, I fucking hate the music in this movie. <laughs> it dates it so hard. And again, this is just my like, the bass is too loud, like old man bullshit. <laughs> but like, ugh, I'm done with like the fucking let's put techno beats under orchestral bullshit. I'm done with it. I don't care. I don't care if it makes me unhip or out of touch. That's fine. <laughs> There's a hollow note song called Out of Touch. I will gladly be in the same category as that. Well, I'm Three pretty stars. sure that that whole concept was only hip for a brief period around yes. that time, Absolutely. because of the successful of those movies. Yes, buddy, you're forgetting that in the like late '90s, early 2000s, there was a whole genre of music that was just drum and bass. Yes, <laughs> that was uh, the only two instruments and the name of the genre. Yes, <laughs> true, true. Uh, so that's gonna do it for this episode of Body Counts and Beer. I am Mark Rosendahl. I'm Patrick Bromley. I am very curious to interrogate my feelings of why I'm excited for a fourth Matrix movie. Ooh, oh, shit, are you? Yeah. How could you feel that way? No, I, I don't know. But like but two was worse than one and three was worse than two. Ergo, Correct. four should be worse than three. Absolutely. And yet for some reason, I super want to see it. Dude, it's not going to be John Wick with bullet time. John Wick is John Wick with bullet time. No, I get that. He got a haircut and everything. I understand that. <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it for this episode. That's everybody. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Body Counts and Beer is Patrick, Romeo, and Juliet Bromley, John, Blood and Wine, Rooney Taylor, and Mark, Flirt Rosenthal. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever podcasts are found. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at BodyCountCast, or email us at BodyCountsAndBeer at gmail.com.